Well, as we, uh, as we get started this morning, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. I'm going to read a verse here in just a moment uh, as, we, as we just continue. It wasn't intended to be a series. It's kind of turning into a series. But we talked about wanted last week. We talked about wanted troublemakers. And we looked at how the, the, Paul and Silas and his army, his team of, his, his mission team right there had had really, they were being said, what was said of them is they had turned the world upside down. And what we know is they weren't turning the world upside down. They were going back and turning things right side up. And that's what we were, the whole idea of the message last week was is turning the world right side up instead of being upside down. And so this morning, our, our, our title of our message is Maniacal Missionaries. So last week we wanted troublemakers. This Sunday morning we're talking about wanted maniacal, maniacal missionaries. Can y'all see that? <laughs> if the picture fits, right? If the picture fits, maniacal missionaries. Um, that you know, they had turned this culture around, and and and, and what we've talked about is is politics aren't going to change this culture. It doesn't matter who wins in elections next year. It doesn't matter who wins in elections two years after that. Um, it doesn't matter who sits in the White House. Morally, spiritually, in our country, that's not going to change our country. But what can change our country and what can turn the culture is that we get out of here, we get out of our seats, and we go out into this world around us and we win people to Christ. We share the gospel and win people. So we want to go out of here and we want to be troublemakers. We want to go out of here and be maniacal missionaries. And you think, what in the world does that mean? You'll understand in just a moment. I'm going to read just a few verses. We'll have a word of prayer and and then we'll really launch off into this. In in, in Mark chapter 5, I'm not going to read the whole passage. I'm going to read just a few verses here and then we'll come back and, and, and fill in the blanks, but uh, verse, verse 6 there, Mark chapter 5, it says, and when he saw Jesus, now this is this, this, this man that was demon-possessed, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. That's what Jesus had said to him. Then he, Jesus, asked him, what is your name? And he answered, this demon-possessed man answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send him, uh, them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine were feeding, was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine so that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So let's, uh, let's just open with a word of prayer. Father, as we look to this story this morning of this man possessed with a, a legion of demons, we, we call him the maniac of Kadera. But Lord, he was a victim. He was a slave to sin. He was a slave to this demon possession. And uh, Lord, what a fascinating story as we see his hopeless condition and yet we see the miracle that you work in his life. Lord, I pray that you'll just guide my thoughts and my speeches. Lord, just help me to, to, to preach. Uh, just what you want this morning, Lord. Not necessarily what I have on my notes. What I, you, I know you've prepared this in me and through me. Uh, but Lord, I pray that you give me freedom and, and, and clarity and thought and clarity and speech to just boldly proclaim truth this morning. 
from your word and guide that, Lord, and we'll thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I say this often. I say as you read your scriptures, you know, read it in color, right? I, t- I say it. Y'all, that's, that's a, a phrase you understand now when I talk about it. When you read the scriptures, you know, you need to see it. You need to let it develop in your mind. Well, I think I figured out finally where that, where that really came from. And it probably isn't something maybe that developed in me, but it may have been something that I already kind of had, but, but realizing maybe where it did develop. Now, I grew up listening to Georgia football on the radio. I, I, I'm, I'm 12 years old. I'm probably 11 years old. No, I would have been 12. I was 12 years old in 1980. And that's when I really first got into football. I mean, I loved it. I just went all in. I was a Georgia Bulldog. And, of course, that's the year Herschel Walker comes on the scene. So it's a good year to be a Georgia Bulldog in 1980. It was, a, you know, and I think, man, this is easy. We win the national championship. We ought to do this every year. It ought to be easy. But I grew up listening to it on the radio, and, and most of the kids today would go, hey, why would you listen to a game on the radio? You can watch it on TV. Because now most games are on TV. You can get just about everything. Every, I'm in Florida, and I get just about every Georgia game. I can find it somewhere on TV or, in, or the Internet. But it wasn't always that way. So things have changed a lot. But as I listened to Georgia football growing up, the best play-by-play announcer that I ever heard was a man named Larry Munson. Y'all may have heard of Larry. Some of you may have heard that name. He called Georgia games, I don't know, 40 years, something like that. He was doing play-by-play. But when he would describe the game, The way that he would describe it, he was a wordsmith. I mean, he just set the picture. He described it in a way that that I could see it in my mind. And so as he's doing that, I can see the action on the field. And uh, and that's kind of what what, what I've learned, that that's that's really kind of how I approach Scripture. And we're going to, as I do this story this morning, I'm going to kind of lay it out in in a way, kind of the way I study and the way I prepare for something and the way we should look at our Scriptures as we look at this story. But I want to show this one slide because I was just thinking, man, we're already, this this is July the 18th. We're about, I don't know if it's five or six weeks, maybe six weeks from football. Now, I love college football. And college football is the last, that and golf is about the last thing that I have to watch because it's, everything else has turned me off. But college football, I can at least still get that. I'm, I'm getting a little bit of the fever for college football. And I hate that Holly's not here. I love to pick on her about the, the game. And I was telling her, I showed her a picture. I sent her, we were texting about everybody. And, and uh, so I sent her that picture. And she said, oh, now you're not going to pick on Florida. I said, are you kidding? Y'all beat us last year. I can't say anything. So uh, we'll wait till after November of this year and see if I can brag again. But right now I can't say a word. But here's what, here's what Larry Munson would do. Is he's, you know, because you've got to set the picture, right? You've got to get a picture of what's going on. And you do the same thing with Scripture. As you're reading a story, you need to understand what's going on. So as, as Larry would talk about it, and he would talk about the weather and what the shadows look like across the field. But he would look at that and he would tell us in the pregame, he would say, now Georgia, get the, he would say this, he said, get the picture. You had to get the picture, and he had that rough voice. He had a real gruffy voice, and, and, he, and he'd talk about Georgia's in the white shirts with the black letters, and they got on the red helmets and the silver britches with the black and white and red trim, and so you're seeing that. And then he'd talk about Florida, and he'd say, you know, Florida's in the blue jerseys and the white. They got the white pants with the white numbers and the orange hats, and he paints the picture. He said, now, Georgia's going to kick off, and they're going to be going from right to left. So you get a picture. He paints the picture. And so they're, they're laying out the background. Georgia, they're, they're 6-0. and Florida's 6-0. and They're undefeated. They're ranked. They talk about all these things leading up to the game. So you get this pregame, and you get the picture. you got to understand where you're at. So let's go there because that's the first thing 
thing we're going to look at this morning in this story of this maniac of Gadara. Let's get the picture of this, the pregame. Verse 1 says, then they came. This is the disciples and Jesus as they're in the boat. They came to the other side of the sea to the, sea, the country of the Gadarenes. And now understand, this is, this is the story where Jesus, they go out on the boat, the storm comes up, they, they're, they're thinking they're all going to die, the disciples are panicking, and this is the time where they find Jesus, they come to him, and he's asleep on the boat. Now, if Jesus is asleep on the boat, I think I'm not going to worry. If he ain't worried, I ain't worried, right? But, but if Jesus is worried, I might be worried. But Jesus ain't worried, he's asleep on the boat. But they're like, Master, cares they're not that we perish, we're all going to die, and you're over here asleep. And so they, and you know, he gets up and he rebukes them. You have, you have little faith. Why do you have little faith? And he speaks to the storm. He says, you know, peace, be still, calms. And with a word, he calms the storm. Now, I don't know about anybody else. Does that, does that blow your mind? Now, here's a, here's a thought as, as I'm reading that. The word that he, when he spoke to the storm, is he rebuked the storm. Now, I might rebuke Gina, and then I'd have a black eye. I might rebuke Jesse. Uh, or Jordan, I might rebuke a person, I rebuke our dog, I rebuke, you know, we rebuke things that we feel like can hear and respond. How many of you would go outside and rebuke the hurricane, or rebuke the wind blowing, or rebuke the rain? We wouldn't do that because it's an inanimate object, or so we think, and that would be silly. But the Lord rebukes the wind, and the waves, and the ocean, and the storm, and all of that. He rebukes it, and He speaks to it, and instantly it listens. That blows my mind. That nature listens to the Lord. He's the creator. He's God Almighty. And it listened and responded. And you can see the disciples in that story. It blew them away because they were like, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey his voice? Who, who is he? They were, they were in shock. So they get there. They land here in, in Gadara, here the land of the Gadarenes. And, and verse 2, and when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now you're going to see in a little bit what he looked like. And, and you, you can imagine as he's coming up to them, as he's approaching them. Now we're going to find out he, wasn't, he didn't have any clothes on and he's a mess and he's a maniac. So he's wondering how he might have actually been approaching. But you got to see this as he's quickly, as soon as they get out of the boat, he's coming. And I can see the other disciples because you know how the disciples always responded. They're probably like taking steps back and going, Hey, hey, man, what, you know, what, Lord, what, do we need to fight or what? I, you know, you just wonder how they're responding. But get a picture now of this maniac that is approaching the Lord. And it says, his first thing is this, verse 3, it says, who had his dwelling among the tombs. So here's this man coming with an unclean spirit. They, they, they could probably gauge that pretty quickly just from looking at him that perhaps he's, and now the Lord knew, but the disciples are trying to figure this out. Who had, who, who, but they find out that he had his dwelling among the tombs. That's what we find out. So that's where his dwelling is. He lived in the cemetery. Now I was at the cemetery on Friday. Um, during the day, that's okay. I ain't hanging out in the cemetery at night. I'm not superstitious. I don't believe in ghosts. I ain't worried about somebody coming up from a grave. But I ain't hanging out in the cemetery. I'm not sleeping in a graveyard. Are you with me? Anybody with? Nobody? I'm the only one? I'm not sleeping in a graveyard. That's where this man's sleeping. He's sleeping in tombs. And, and it would have been, you know, there would have been like tombs carved out of stone. And they would have been those kind of uh, uh, tombs. And so he was living in there. That's where he's living. He spent his day among the dead. 
He's not hanging out with the living. The demons had driven him into isolation and separation. That was their plan. They wanted to get him away from everybody else. They've got him out there isolated, alone, tormented, and he is, that's where he's at. So he's living in the tombs. Second thing we see is his dress. And we'll look at Luke chapter 8 because Luke chapter 8, 27 says, and he wore no clothes. So we find out not only is he living in the cemetery, but he's wearing no clothes. The man is out there naked. Now, I'm just going to say this because we, we, we sometimes think there's not demon possession today. We, we, we've, we've, we've kind of, we, we so want to push against some of the folks that are so hyper with, with the super spiritual things that we are, we're missing the boat on the fact that there is demon possession today. There is oppression by demons. Demons are still at work today. And I think a lot of what we see in, I mean, just look around. There's this thing with shedding clothes. And there's something demonic about getting naked. They want to get naked and be running around. I, when I see somebody gets naked and wants to run across a football, football field, so 80,000 people are looking at them. There's something not right there. And it's not just because, they're and they may just be a pervert, but there are some of these things, folks, that we look at that we see where this demonic presence, pornography, um, all of these kind of things, there's something about this shedding of clothes and our nakedness that is, that is, it is, there's wickedness in that. But he wore no clothes. They see that. And he's a mess. Now look at his disposition. Um, the end of verse 3 says, And no one could bind him, not even with chains. So they had tried. They'd put chains on him. They'd shackled him. It says, Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. He could not be tamed. This is a wild man. He lived his life out of controls. Others had tried to help him, and he rejected it. Others tried to help him. He would fight them. They'd try to capture him, and, and we're going to get you back. It's an intervention. They're trying to intervene in his life and help him, and he just breaks the chains and breaks the shackles. So we see he's got this supernatural strength, and he's not a happy guy. He's not a fun guy to be around. Nobody wants to be around him. He's filled with rage and wrath and violence and this unnatural strength. And then we see his desperation. When you look at verse 5, it says, And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out, and cutting himself with stones. This is sad. When, when you look at this man, it's a life of utter despair. I mean, he's sad, he's lonely, he's rejected, he's totally shunned by society. This is a, this is a sad situation. It, it, the, the torment never ceased. Ver, right there again, it says, and always night and day, always night and day. Man, he's out there in the mountains, he's in the tombs. And he's crying out and he's cutting himself. He is in pain and misery. And, and, and all of this is just up upon him constantly. He found no comfort. He found no peace. And, and only despair and desolation. Times during the night and day that, 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 that he would just let out a blood-curdling scream. It says crying out. Can you imagine someone that's, they're walking by, they got to go close, and they just hear him scream. And we're talking about guttural, something deep, something unnatural is coming out of this man as he screams from being tormented. And he lets out those screams. And then there's times where he gnash, gashes himself. He takes a sharp rock, and he's a jagged rock or something, and he begins to cut himself. And he's doing anything he can because he's in absolute pain. And when you're in pain, sometimes you'll do anything to get rid of the pain. I had a friend that had, had kidney stones, 
And, and, and it, he said it got so bad he took a baseball and put it on the floor and got down on the floor on his kidney and was rolling around on that ball. He said it about killed him, but he was trying to do anything to, to relieve the pain that he was feeling. Folks, and that's what we see a lot of this, this, this cutting and this hurting is I want to feel something. I want to feel something besides this pain that's inside. And so he's, maybe he's thinking I can cut myself and I can drive these demons out of here. I can ease the suffering and the pain that I'm feeling. But his situation is rough. Many around us today are in the same desperate situation. I don't know, uh, I don't know of anybody that's dwelling in a cemetery. I don't know of those situations. It probably is. Homeless population, some may be actually living out in a cemetery, I don't know. But there are those whose lives are in absolute despair just like this man. Their lives are dominated by sin, by drugs, by alcohol, sexual addiction, you name it. Just go through the list. People are possessed and, and there's this oppression that Satan has put on them and there's this, they're just in torment. Every day begins the same as the day before. Absolute despair. They find no way of escape and, 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 and they live a defeated life. This man lived a tragic life, and as many do today, they have no hope, they have no joy, they have no peace, and they have no comfort. Constantly searching for a way to escape the pain and suffering. This poor naked man was a mess. He, is, he has bleeding cuts, he has scars, he has scabs, he has infections. He's living in the madness of constant pain and the demonic torment that has his life. Can you see him? I mean, this is, this is, we ought to weep that there's actually people that are living their lives like this. And so often we look at that and we go the other way and we avoid it and we shun it as these people did. I mean, what mother is going to let their children near the cemetery? Oh, no, that maniac is out there. What woman is going to go by? There's a naked man running around the cemetery. They, he was shunned by... And the men, they didn't want no part of him because, I mean, he breaks chains and shackles. You didn't want to wrestle with this guy. So he's totally cut off from society. He's totally hopeless. This man's running wild and naked. He's nasty. He's sick. And, and as a result, all were against him. Women and children, everybody, they're frightened by him and they fled from him. You know, in his clear moments, he surely realized how repulsive and unloved and unwelcomed he was. You know, we might think, well, he's always in that state. I don't know if you've seen, uh, we, I've been starting the, um, uh, what is it, The Chosen. And there's a place in there, early in there, where Mary, Mary is, she's filled with demons. There's times where she's lucid, there's times where she's normal, and there's times where she's just absolutely enraged. And the demons have her, and the Lord comes to her, and he heals her. He casts those demons out. And so we, we, we might think that someone would always be in the extreme of that, and that's not necessarily the case. But he had times where he was lucid. His mind, he understood what was going on. And at those times, that was probably even the worst times because he understood that he was rejected, that he was unloved, that he was unwelcomed, and that he was alone. And, his, and, and just he's absolutely, he's in unbelievable misery. However, we're told uh, we, we, we must not you know, just foolishly think that humans must be demonized to descend to the degradation of the demoniac of Gadara. Sin is universal to the human condition. Amen? James 1.14 says each one is tempted by his own desire. We're pulled away by our own desire and our own lust. And uh, as the Russian novelist Turgenev said, he says, I do not know what the heart of a bad man is like, but I know what the heart of a good man is like, and it is terrible. What a great quote. 
Nevertheless, demons do drive men and women to the depths of degradation. Why? Why do they do that? What's the purpose of that? Because hate Satan hates God. Bottom line is, look, we're created in the image of God. Amen? We know that from Genesis chapter 1. We are created in the image of God. And Satan hates God. And he'll do anything to attack God. And if he attacks a creation, if he attacks us who are created in the image of God, he wants to tear and destroy that and tear that down, uh, then, then that's what he wants to do. That's what the work of the demon is. Werner Forrester said this. He says, in most of the stories of possession, what is at issue is not merely sickness, but a destruction and distortion of the divine likeness of man according to creation. The center of personality, the volitional and active ego, is inspired by alien powers which seek to ruin man. That, that's what this man is going through. Tertullian said the glory of God is a man fully alive. And if that's the case, and I believe it is, then, then the degeneration of man or the distortion of the divine image from sin is a direct uh, attack on the glory of God. And so, folks, what we have to do as believers, you know, the Lord told us this. He said, the, the thief does not come except to steal and kill and destroy. Amen? The Lord said, I've come to give them life, not just to give them life, but to give them abundant life, glorious life, life far beyond anything you would normally have. That's the life that God wants to give us. These demons are possessing this man, and they're tormenting him, and they're doing all they can to, to kill and to destroy. Satan and his goons are bent on destruction, and every life they in, inhabit or oppress is chosen for that express purpose. That's their goal, to destroy it and keep it from being able to follow Christ. That's what they're doing. That's the situation this man is in. And I don't know if you're getting the picture yet. This man's situation is rather hopeless. From our perspective, it's absolutely hopeless. There's no way. How can anyone, no one has been able to help him. He can't do anything on his own to help himself. We see the last thing here as we get a picture of him is his desire. Verse 2, and when he had come out of the boat, when the Lord Jesus had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So he, this man came. And, and verse 6 says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Now, this man didn't, didn't know. I mean, he didn't. Jesus has never been there before. I don't read anywhere in Scripture. I can't find it that he had been there before. So he comes. He doesn't know who Jesus is. I don't know that the stories had gotten around. And even if they had, there's a boat with 13 people on it. And, and they get off the boat. How would he know that? I'll tell you what I think as I read this. The demons knew who he was. They knew who he was, and because they knew who he was, he, he understood who he was, and he recognizes, he sees Jesus, and he recognizes the deity, that this is the Christ, this is God in flesh right here. And this man runs and responds. That's not the demons running to Jesus' feet. That's this man running. Now, the demons are there, and they, we've already read the conversation they have with the Lord, but this man goes and he bows down at the feet. Here's his desire. He wants to be freed. He wants to be set free from the pain that he's, he's in. He wants to be set free from the hopelessness. He wants something to bring him alive. And he's at wit's end. And he sees Jesus. And he runs to him. We see his desire is to be healed, to be saved from his sin. That's his desire. You know, our world is filled with those who are in pain and, and, and there are people we may never see, we may never know it, but there are people that are filled with pain. And that pain is real. It's real. And it's deep. 
They long for a means to escape their desperation. And folks, here's the deal. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the only way. Psychology is not going to fix a, a soul. You know, counseling is good, but it, it takes the power of God to free a person from this. Only Jesus can save someone and heal them of these things. That's this man's desire. We've got a picture of this man now. There's the, there's the get the picture. Second thing is, you know, you get the picture of the game, and then, and then the next thing is it's game time. They're going to kick off, and you're going to watch it, and here's what you do. You sit there, and you watch the, the action. You focus on the action. Look, if you're going to focus on the action, you've got to focus on Jesus because that's where the action always is. Don't get distracted with other things because the story is always about Jesus. Let me say this. The Scriptures are not about us. Other than the fact that Jesus loves me and his plan is to redeem man. The story, I'm not the star of the Bible. Amen? Look, we got a whole segment of our, uh, of our, of our uh, culture today, Christian culture, who think they're the star of the story. The maniac of Gadara is not the star of the story. That may be us in there. That would be us. That's who we would be. But he's not the star of this. So he's not the one you need to watch. You need to watch the Lord Jesus because he's the star. This is all about him. This book is about God's love and, and what he has done. It's his story cover to cover. The fall of man and the redemption of man. And it's what he has done. He's the hero of this story. But let's look at his presence. A there, his presence, verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. Jesus came to Gadara for this man. I'm going to talk about it later, um, but he didn't do anything else. He came to Gadara, and, and, and we're looking at this. This is a conversation that probably could have been had in a minute. All of this could have happened from the time that man bows down at his feet. This conversation may have been a minute long. And he's casting out the demons into the swine. And they're fleeing off and, and running off the cliff into the, into the sea and drowning. And, and ultimately we know what the story is that Jesus is going to, he heals this man and he gets back on the boat because they plead with him. They beg him to leave. He gets back on the boat and he leaves. And now I don't think anybody thwarted God's plan for what he wanted to do there. I think he was there for one purpose and that was for that man. Jesus knew his condition and knew where to find him. It wasn't coincidence or luck or happenstance. It was by divine appointment that Christ was there to meet this man. He came through the storm of Galilee to reach this one lost sinner. Now, aren't you glad for the presence of Jesus? I am. You know, I remember the day I was saved. It wasn't a great revival meeting. It wasn't a big tent meeting. It wasn't even a church meeting. And there wasn't a whole lot of people saved. There wasn't even two people saved. There was one person saved. It was just me. See, see, I was the only one, and Jesus came that day for me. And he'll do the same for you. Jesus loves you. He knows your need. He knows, uh, he knows uh, what he wants, and what he wants is to meet that need today. He knows what you need. He wants to meet the needs you have. He died for you. You're the reason. We see his presence, but we also see his preeminence, his superiority. Verse 6 says, when he saw Jesus far off, he ran and worshipped him. 
And he cried out with a loud voice. This is now the, this man went and bowed down and worshiped him. Verse 7, what we see now is the demons are speaking up. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. This is the demons. This is legion speaking out at this point. They recognize Jesus. They acknowledge uh, the son, Jesus, son of the most high God. They knew his name. They didn't have to ask, who are you? They knew who Jesus was, and they're, they're fearful. See, the demoniac, you know, he recognized the deity of, of, of God, and I, 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 it's very possible that was the very reason is because the demons knew, and he could perceive what was going on there. They, they knew who Jesus was. Now, here's the thing. If you've never recognized Jesus for who he is and, and, and your need for him, then you have to do that. There has to be a recognition of who Jesus is. They recognized who he was. But you have to recognize who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. He is the sinless one. He is the Messiah. He is the only hope that we have. You must recognize who he is. And you must acknowledge your need for him. He's the only way to be redeemed and given eternal life. We must come to the place that we realize that we need Jesus. And we must see ourselves as unworthy and undone before him. And this morning, if you're sitting here and you've never done that, you have to come to that place. You're not getting to heaven because you attend church and it checks a box and you join a church and you get baptized and I give some money and, and I do these other things, these works. You're not getting to heaven on that. There's one way and it's through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it requires us to acknowledge who he is and, and turning to him. So we see his presence and we see his preeminence, but we also see his power. What a, what we just saw there as he calmed the storm. With a word, he calmed the storm. And right here, I'm going to read actually in Matthew. I've referenced verses 8 and 9 and 13, and you can, you can read that in, there in Mark. But, but I'm going to read in Matthew's account of this. And I like what he says here. 831, so the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. There's that herd of swine. There's 2,000 swine there. Now, remember, they said they were legion. So what's legion? By Roman, in the Roman culture, the Roman army, a legion was up to 6,000 foot soldiers. So when they say we're legion because we are many, we don't know how many there were, but I would assume by that thousands, maybe even more than 6,000. But there are thousands of demons that are in this man. And so when they, when they say, if you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. They're like, Lord, don't send us out into the utter abyss out there. Send us, if you're going to cast us out, send us into those swine. And look at verse 32, and he said to them, one word. Jesus just said, go. Go. I mean, that's a, he, he answered their prayer. They prayed a prayer and he said, go. But go is a command. And instantly, so when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. That quick. One word. One word. And I hear people say, well, you know, God can't save me. You don't, you, don't, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. Here's a man filled with thousands of demons and with a word God casted out. And this man's life is forever changed. Look, this, this seems like it was a, you know, uh, a pretty simple thing. Or, or, you know, you look at it and you go, man, this, was, this could have been a little intense. As you read it in Scripture, this interaction, it wasn't, it wasn't intense for Jesus. 
You know, I don't know what the disciples, as they're standing around, they're listening. And remember, this happens really quick, and they're watching, they're hearing, and they're going, wow, man, this, this man's possessed of these demons. And, and, and he, now he's, and they're hearing the conversation, and the Lord says, go. And instantly, boom, they're, they're fleeing. And you see what happens as they go into the swine. The swine immediately go, and they jump off. They, look, they'd rather die than be demon-possessed. And they go, and they just jump off. So this seems like a difficult thing. It, it, it wasn't for him. See, we've got to understand this. We're no match for Satan, amen? I'm no match for Satan. I'm no match for demons. I'm not, I'm not going head-to-head with demons. But the, Satan and his demons are no match for Jesus. The, he, he's in absolute control. And so listen, he has the power. The Lord has the power. He has the power to bring healing. He has power to cast out. And so this man, by coming to Christ and bowing his feet and desiring to be made whole, the Lord just speaks to the demons. He casts them out, and instantly this man is made whole. It's an incredible, incredible story. The power of Christ right there. Now, we see the action a lot of times. And those sports fans, here's what we do. So we watch the pregame, and then we watch the game, and so if, if, I, if I'm home this afternoon, if I get home before it's off, I'm going to watch the very last of that golf tournament. You know, we'll watch that, right, or, or whatever it is you watch. And then here's what we'll do. We'll watch the highlights of what we just watched. And then we get the recap of what happened. Now, what does this mean? So there's a lot of things that happen. So you've got the post game, the, the what actually happened here. And, and back, back in the day before, uh, before ESPN became a, uh, a political action group instead of a sports channel uh, that it no longer is. There used to be a thing called Sports Center. I love to watch Sports Center because they would catch you up on all the sports and they would show you the highlights and they'd talk about the standings and they'd talk about what it meant for the playoffs and they, you know they laid out what that meant, what actually happened. They'd take you back to that. So that's what you got to do now. So we we saw the background, we see this man, and then we see the Lord comes and we saw what he did, but we, did we really see everything that he did there? Let's look at what happened. So there's some other things that went on here. So A, we see the maniac converted. Verse 15, then they came to Jesus and saw the one who, who had been demon-possessed. So the people watching the, the pigs... The, the swine, I've been wanting to call them sheep all weekend. The swine, they, they see, they don't know what's going on. Now understand, they don't know what's going on. Jesus is over there. They see the maniac perhaps come out and he bows down it and they think that's strange. So they may be watching that. So at a distance, they don't hear the conversation. They don't know what's happening. But the Lord says go. They don't hear him, go! We don't see that. They, they don't know what's going on. But what they do notice is all of a sudden these 2,000 pigs start at, hmm, What's going on over here? All of a sudden, there's a, there's a shuffling over here. And the, you know, the pigs are getting restless and, and they're getting riled up and they're making all those noises. And, and all of a sudden, they start taking off. And the, the, the shepherds that are out watching those swine are going, What? And whoa, whoa, where are y'all? You know, they're trying to stop them and they run right off the cliff into the sea. Now, these guys, what do we do? What do we do? So what do you do? Those are somebody else's pigs, and somebody else has just lost a bunch of money, and they were watching them. So they go back to town. They go tell the owners what happened. Now, you can imagine what happens, right? This is a town. It's not everybody's cooked up. There's a marketplace or whatever. She goes to the boss's cliff. You ain't going to believe. Your pigs just, they just ran off the cliff. We're watching them, and they just started acting crazy, and they ran off the cliff. Oh, they're just zooming off and into the water, and they die. 
and they're all dead. All your, all your swine are dead. Now you're going, no, wait, a, oh, no, 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 no. That's a lot of money. What are you telling me? So now you're uptight. And other people heard it, and they're going, what? You're kidding. 2,000 pigs went in the sea. i got to see this. So now as they head back out, you got a crowd of people collecting. It's not just one or two folks. This might be half the little town there is coming out now. And they come out, and they want to see what's going on. And so they get there, and they maybe go over to the edge, and they're looking over, and they're going, you got to be kidding me. What has happened here? And so now they're trying to figure out what happened because they don't know anything else that happened. They just see the maniac talking to Jesus. They don't put the two together. Now they're trying to figure out. So now it says, and then they came to Jesus. So maybe they come to Jesus. They want to say, hey, what did you see happen? Did did these shepherds, they run my pigs off the cliff? I don't know what they're wanting to ask. But they come to Jesus. It says, and they saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion. They, They might even forget about the pigs for a minute. Because they see this this demonic, possessed man, here he is, and he's sitting and clothed and in his right mind. The Bible says, and they were afraid. Think about the disciples. Here the Lord is. They were scared to death of the storm. And then when the Lord calmed the storm, they were scared of him. They should have worshipped him at that point, and yet they're standoffish and scared and Who is he? What manner of man is this? Even the wind and the waves. Oh, by, they're afraid. And as the people gather to see this spectacle, they turn to Jesus and they see this man sitting there. And so they see his comfort. So that's changed. He's now at peace. He's at peace. He's no longer tormented. And they see his clothing. They don't know the last time this man had clothes on. We don't know any of the backstory. We don't know how long he's been out there. We don't know what led to this demon possession. We don't know if he got involved in something else and he invited it in somehow. We, don't, we, we just don't have any idea about any of that history. But it said he had been for a long time. He'd been out there. This man's been running around naked. I mean, you can, I, I, I see, Tom, I see, uh, I see the, the, uh, the castaway guy with his hair down to here and he's been on the island deserted. I mean, that's what, what I imagine him. He just looks rough. But now he's got clothes on. He's sitting there. He's at peace. And they see the peace in his face. The change is evident. He's at peace. He didn't sit in anybody's feet. He's sitting there and he's having a conversation with this Jesus. And he's got his clothes on. He's not running around in the graveyard naked. He's dressed. Somebody's probably given him a cloak and he's put that on. And he's instantly going, man, this is not right. Why am I naked? I need to cover up and be modest here. There was a change in the man that was noticeable for those who knew him. The change was instant. It wasn't, I'm going to progressively stop doing this and work on that and fix that. Man, this change was instant when they came up. And it was a change that God made on the inside and everybody else could see it on the outside. It was evidenced. That's why I tell people, look, you can have somebody come into church, worst person in town, you can put a suit on them, that ain't going to change their heart. You can get a haircut, that ain't going to change their heart. But you let a man's heart get changed, you know what it does? It works out. When God changes the inside, then he changes the outside. He changes the way we walk and the way we talk and where we go and what we do and what we say and how we think. He changes all that and becomes very evident. So his comfort, his clothing, but also his clarity. He was in his right mind. His mind was no longer controlled by Satan. He no longer desired the things of the world or the pleasures of sin. His mind was focused on Christ. Meeting Jesus changed everything for this man. 
And folks, meeting Jesus changed everything for us. If you're born again, it, it has changed everything or it changed nothing. And I, I'll stand on that. Jesus changes everything in our life. All things become new. Or he didn't change anything. Jesus doesn't halfway do anything. And if you, you, you go, well, you know, I've now accepted Jesus, uh, but I'll, I'll clean up what I want to clean up, and I'll do it the way I want to do it, when I want to do it, then you haven't, you, haven't, you haven't come to Jesus. Jesus changes everything. And you know, I already mentioned this, but it's worth saying again. Jesus came there for the sole purpose of winning this man to himself. He didn't, he didn't set up a tent. He didn't do any other miracles. He didn't, he didn't have a tent revival meeting. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't do anything at that point. Now, the question would come up, why, why in the world did he cast these, these demons out into swine? And I think there's a couple of reasons that may be pretty obvious. First is this. He, he made a statement by doing that. He showed that people are more important than possessions. I mean, those 2,000 swine, that's a lot of money. But he said, he just said, possessions aren't valuable. That one man was worth more than all of those swine. We've got that so mixed up today. Our culture is worshiping the, cre the, the, the creation and not the creator. To where, I mean, there's folks that'll they'll go out and, and chain themselves to a tree to protect something in, in the creation, and yet they'll fight to defend the right to murder an unborn child. I mean, that's the, the messed up thinking that we have in our, in our world today. That's the first reason. The other reason, I think, is this. You know, if Jesus had spoke and cast the demons out, he would have been free, but he might have wondered, are they going to come back? He might have had that in the back of his mind. It might have been a little fear. That man, as soon as he cast the demons out, he's, I mean, instantly now, he's free. He's clear. And what does he see? He knows what just went on. And he sees that the demons go into the pigs and they go off the and they and they're dead. I mean, to, for him, that's a this is done. This is over. He sealed it. I'm free. And he has confidence in that. So it's an it's an incredible, incredible thing right there. So we, we see there, we see the, the demonic converted. We see his salvation, what Christ did in his life. And then the last thing here is this we see the maniac, um, the maniac commissioned. He's commissioned, verses 18 through 20. And when he got into the boat, Jesus, he went and got in the boat. Now, remember what's happened. They were scared to death, so the people all begged him, said they sent the Lord away. They rejected the Lord. I don't know. The Lord might have, I, I, I believe with all my heart, he went for the sole purpose of winning that one man. But what if the people had went, oh, you, uh, you've got to stay. You've got to stay. Now, he may have said, no, nope, now's not the time. He may have still got on the boat and left. But maybe if they had begged him to stay and, and we got someone, you did that, you can heal somebody else. We need they didn't do that. They begged him to leave and the Lord left. So we see here that he, he got into the boat. He who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. So the demoniac now has been healed. He's been He's been. I, I believe with all my heart he's born again. He's saved. He has saved this and redeemed this man. And he is begging at this point. He wants to go with Jesus. He wants to go and get on the boat and hang out with him and all that. However, Jesus did not permit him but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. The Lord says, You go back home. Here's your commission. 
Your commission is not to hang out with me. Your commission, I'm commissioning you to go back to your people, starting with your home. Go back to your home. And we don't know. Maybe you had a wife and kids. Maybe, maybe they're, they're, they're wondering, when's dad? Is dad ever going to get right? Is dad ever going to come home? He needs to go home and make things right at home. He needs to witness at home. He needs to get that fixed. And that's what Jesus did. Look, there's a lot of folks around here today who need to go back home and they need to get things right at home first. We want to talk about all these things they want to go do for Jesus and things ain't right at home. Jesus said, go back and make things right at home. He said, go back there and you tell them. You tell, you tell your friends. You tell your family. You tell everybody you see the great things that the Lord has done for you and, and how he had compassion on you. In verse 20, and he departed and began to proclaim. He began. He departed and began. He didn't say he departed and three months later he told one person. It says, he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis. Now, Decapolis, the word indicates you know, like Decathlon. So there's 10. Decapolis was an area of 10 cities. And he began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and, and all marveled. Now, he wanted to go. He wanted to go be with Jesus. And Jesus said, nope, I'm sending you back to your people. Now, those people just rejected Jesus. And you think, man, that's a sad story. They rejected the Savior. And, and, and they, they sent him away, and he did. Look, folks, if you send the Lord away, God's working in your life, and you tell him, leave me alone, he, he, don't be surprised when he does. If, there may be a time where he'll, he'll leave you alone for a while. He'll quit pressing on your heart. You need to be careful. But they did. They asked him to leave, and Jesus, Jesus, he left. He got on the boat and left. But Jesus had a better plan. If you look at what happened here, let me show you. There's a quick story that explains what that demoniac did. There was an eye doctor who had just come out of school. And he went out and he starts this new practice and he's in a new area. He don't have any friends. He don't have any money and he ain't got no clients. Nobody's coming to him yet. He's like, how am I ever going to get this business off the ground? He's getting a little very discouraged about it. And one day he's walking along and he runs into this blind man. He sees this blind man. He goes over to the blind man and he looks at He says, can I look at your eyes? And he looks at his eyes and he goes... What you, you could be, this could be fixed. Why haven't you had your eyes fixed? He says, you come to my office. He tells him where to come. He sends him. He says, you come to my office tomorrow morning and we'll fix your eyes. So he comes to the doctor's office. And the doctor does a procedure and he fixes his vision. And when he's done, the, the man says, this is incredible. This is great, but I don't have anything to pay you with. He said, he said oh, oh, you're going to pay me. You're going to pay me. But here's how you're going to pay me. You're going to leave here and you're going to tell everybody you run into that you were blind and you're going to tell them who it was that healed your eyes. Business got good. See, this is what this, is what this demoniac did. He had been healed. He had, he had had this blindness fixed, this oppression fixed, this demonic oppression fixed, this lostness fixed. God had fixed all of that. God had taken care of that. He had healed him. He had saved him. And he goes out and he tells everybody in Decapolis, Decapolis um, what he had done. And the people, he says, the people marveled. Now, if you fast forward, there's an interesting thing that happens. Who can tell me, anybody know where Jesus was when he fed the 5,000? Anybody know? He was in Capernaum. He was in that area of which is kind of the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. I, I have to admit, I, I, I didn't know this part. 
Guess where he was when he fed the 4,000? He's in Decapolis. So two chapters later, we're in chapter 5. He heals the demoniac. They ask him to leave. He leaves. This man goes into the community and he witnesses. Two chapters later, the Lord gets in the boat and they come back to that area there, to Gadara, Decapolis area. And it says he was received. And they bring a man to him who, who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And the Lord did this strange thing. It was, you know, everything was different with the way the Lord healed. But he did all that with a finger in the ears and spitting and stuff. And he loosed his tongue and he could hear. And he healed him. And, and, and they received him. And then it, this is where the feeding of the 4,000 takes place. Never knew that. I find it fascinating that those people rejected Christ. They weren't ready. But he sends a missionary in there. He sends someone in there professing and testifying of what they had done. Look, we could have a community here, Geneva. I, I, I don't think we have this, but man, it could be a hard community. It could be an anti-God community. But one person who's gotten their life right with God could go out of here and tell everybody they meet what great things Jesus has done in their life. They could tell all how he was merciful to them and, and the power he showed in their life. And as they testify, it's amazing because then, then God will use that. And you can see people come to faith in Christ. He used this man. He prepared the way. And, and you have no doubt there were people, multitudes of people, who came to faith in Christ as a result of that. So all this story this morning is this is just, we'll sum it up with this. Wanted, maniac missionaries. This man went from being a demon-filled maniac to being a Christ-filled maniac for God. And he went out and he trumpeted. He trumpeted God's goodness, God's grace, God's mercy, and how Jesus had saved him. And we see the result of that. By him doing that, a multitude of people come to faith. Just a little later, they come to faith in Christ. What if we, that have been born again, get maniacal about our salvation? What if we really... I mean, you, you can put it a lot of ways. What if, what if you really were put in prison and you were, you were going to die in prison and somebody took your place and you were set free? And you would tell everybody. You'd be writing books. You'd be telling everybody that would listen about this person because, man, they'd be the greatest thing in your life. You just won't believe. This person took my place. I had a life sentence. They took my place. They're, they took it. They're serving it. And I'm free. Jesus Christ has paid all our sin. He paid the price by becoming our sin for us. We ought to be maniacal in our witness for him. Amen? That's what God wants us to do. Is to just get fired up about telling people about Jesus. And we'll see. I'm convinced... You know, I've shared this before, but let's say there's 200 people in our circle here in this church, and there, and there are 200 at least. What if 200 every week just told one person about Jesus? 200 every week. We could turn Geneva upside down. But it starts with one.
you would stand with me. Pastor Aaron, if you'll come. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you.